Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. You have to just constantly remind yourself, this is what it looks like when Satan has dominion, when Satan has power over something. This is this is this is the result. Anything good in it, anything good in it, is just grace, just God intervening in in a Satan ruled dominion. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. Dun, 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 dun. Season two. Season so two. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Last Woo. week we we kind of recapped the we closed out the end of the Bible mm-hmm. and uh, and this week we're starting afresh. A Genesis fresh, one one in the beginning all over again. The beginning. Um, day, like Yogi Berra would say, deja vu all over again. Um, <laughs> And uh, the uh, so we're this and this podcast we are going to be covering uh, the first seven chapters of Genesis. And let me tell you, a lot happens. Oh, the first eighteen chapters of Genesis. I'm sorry, first eighteen chapters. There's a lot that happens in those eighteen chapters. We have the creation of the world, a flood, uh, and then the calling out of the the destruction of the world. That's right. Uh, Survival of mankind, Tower of Babel, and then. Abraham comes on this. Abram becomes Abraham. And uh, anyway, uh, and God forms a covenant with a new people. Israel begins to take shape. And um, and it's that's, uh, that's exciting. So, uh, and also in Matthew, we get through the genealogies, the Matthew, Matthean Christmas story, and, um, and then get through the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. all in this, all in one week. In fact, that's how it closes out. It's kind of in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount is what, what the week closes out with. Uh, so, uh, you know, we always talk about how uh, there's always something interesting to find in a week of Bible reading. And it is. It, it, we've gone through an entire year of podcasts, and we're, we're coming all the way back again. And here's what's amazing about it. It is unbelievable how every week there are just uh, we uh, what the difficulty is is trying to find out what to talk about and what not to talk about right. because there's so We've many got like things, 40 minutes things. on this podcast and there's so many amazing things in God's word that we uh, we want to say this and this and this and this and this and, and and really just can't emphasize enough that if you're not doing the reading you just listen to the podcast you get you know you're going to sample of what we've read but we read so we got so much more of what God has to say because uh, you, you I think we get this impression that you know read the Bible and there's just these long stretches of nothingness well well mm. for one of thing that's theologically wrong because every part of the Bible has a purpose and sometimes you just have to dig a little deeper for it. Um, and I always encourage people get a commentary, meditate upon it, find out uh, what exactly why did God why did God put this here and just don't leave that question just laying there. Say so why did God put this here and mm-hmm. uh, and search for that reason. But more than that, uh, you'll discover there's there's uh, there may be some days that are harder to get through than others. But I think the reading that we have because we go Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, I know this. I know this because I've done this reading over and over again for several years. There is not a day, not a day 
that there isn't something very impactful in the reading that we have uh, for the day, something that God speaks through us. And sometimes it's not what you expect. And sometimes it's a passage I've read multiple times before, but uh, this time when I read it, uh, it really has special meaning. So we're going to um, we're going to come back and we're going to share what we got out of the text for this reading. And uh, and we will also then, uh, last segment, we'll answer some questions. So anyway, be back. Yep. All right, we are back. This is the devotional segment of the right. reading time. Yeah, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go through, and we've taken notes throughout the week, a um, little over a week in this case, and um, we've gone through and just marked up some stuff that Lord told to us while we were reading in His Word. It's amazing how that happens, how God talks to us through His Word. Um, you know, it's obvious when if uh, when I say, Troy talked to me through His words. Of course he did. He talked to me through His words. <laughs> But that's why we have such a great designation for for what we call the Bible, God's Word. Um, it's because it's just how He speaks. And it's the most, uh, you know, like a feeling that you get in prayer can be misinterpreted or misheard. Um, but but God's Word is constant, it's forever, and it's absolutely true every time. Not to say you can't misinterpret it, but man, it's it's the best source for hearing God speak to you that we have. So um, so we're gonna dive into it. Here, I think Pastor Troy is going to go first. I am, I am, and and like we said this earlier in the other segment, there is so much in this in each Bible reading. Each time we each time we look at the Word of God and see all the different things that God is saying to us, uh, there's always so much there. But um, they uh, taking a taking when you go through your daily Bible meditation to take a moment and say, God, see, show me what you want me to get for today. And and really trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you to a particular passage, and then uh, and then looking at that passage, and, and I, I write the passage down, and then I write, here's what I believe God is saying to me through this passage, and it's always great to go back later and and see what God was saying to me, you know, last year uh, during this passage. So if you did the reading last year, you should have a reference point from what God said last year. But uh, but if you start right now. Then at least you're laying a foundation. If you if you take time each day, go through the read through the Bible. God, what do you want to say to me? Write down. Here's what I think God is saying to me. Then each year you can go back and say, Here's oh wow, this is what God was saying to me before, and it's and this is what God's saying to me now. And you have then eventually you have years of reference uh, to go there. And and that's uh, to me as valuable as reading anybody's commentary on what uh, somebody's saying about um, the Bible. So uh, my uh, the Passage that I wanted to write, uh, look at first was in Proverbs chapter one, uh, and it's verses seventeen through nineteen. He says it is useless to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. Uh, he's he's going through an entire the entire. Well, let me back up a little bit because I want it to be in context. He says, um, my son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded that they say, come with us. Let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, whole, like those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll all share the loot. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run toward evil and they hurry to shed blood. 
It is useless to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they can set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Such are the paths who all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. Now, I don't know if you got this out of this, but when I was reading that, I thought of all the different times we've seen on television over the past years uh, when uh, you see a mob begin to form together and or people coming together and get people getting caught up in the moment uh, and banding together and then destroying property or hurting other people or or stealing things or whatever. And and how the the wisdom is when you see people beginning to do that type of thing, don't join them. Do not get involved with that. Go away from that. You know, there are um, – I remember movies you would see how – um, a guy who they're robbing, you know, you're with people who are robbing a bank and then all of a sudden you're in the car and they do all these crimes inside. You didn't expect them to kill somebody. And then they all of a sudden they're in their car with you. And now you are part of that crime or whatever. And you're thinking, uh, I didn't expect this to happen. It's like, well, when you get in the car with bank robbers or people who commit crimes or people who have bad character, now you're in a bad place. And, and these are the kind of things that are going to happen for you. But one particular part of that passage stood out, stood out to me, and that it is useless to spread a net where any bird can see it. Meaning, why you, when you when you're doing something and setting a trap, and uh, and a bird sees it, you're not going to capture the bird. Uh, it's a it's a lousy trap. The foolishness of greed is that a person sets the trap in secrecy, but he is the victim. He literally is setting the trap for himself. Uh, the saddest victim, I wrote this, the saddest victim of all is the one who sees the trap in plain sight, has even set the trap himself, <laughs> but uh, but is ignorant that the trap he sets is for himself. And so, you know, it's uh, I, I think of a, um, uh, if you're a SpongeBob person, I think of a SpongeBob episode where Patrick uh, has a gun or this net gun on SpongeBob, but he has the gun backwards, and he says, "It's not you who has me; it's me who has me." After he shoots himself with a net, <laughs> and, I, and I we we joke about that, but uh, but there's so many times where we think we're getting ready to catch somebody else in something, uh, but when we're thinking evil. When we're thinking we're going to hurt somebody or do something dishonest or try, God's telling us, you're not going to win. You're not going to win because I'm the one who's overseeing all this. I'm going to make sure that you lose. I'm going to make sure that you do not succeed in this. And uh, and then and that's the wisdom here is that uh, that's it's just being completely foolish to think that you're going to outwit God. Uh, so anyway, that's what I got from that. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that because I'm gonna I'm gonna be straight up. I was a little confused with the birds and the um, trying the bird trap foolish person. I was a little lost, so I'm glad that you put a little light on that personally. Um, so okay, cool. So um, I'm gonna flip to Genesis four. And I had Genesis um, four too, but I've not. What? I wasn't gonna share it. That was in, I was just saying it was one of the passages. Well, it's a long I chapter. Down. Maybe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, maybe yeah. uh, if if you want to talk about it, you, give, it give was me what it you was got gonna, after it this. was going to be in my question and answer part. So go ahead. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, I have um, just an observation, I guess, mm-hmm. from Genesis four, and uh, it's it's in the character of Eve and just her her progression of this because Eve is mentioned at the beginning. And Eve is mentioned at the end. Now, this this chapter is really more about Cain and Abel and how he kills 
Abel. Spoiler alert if you haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Eva, at, right at the beginning, he says uh, she. I'm sorry. She uh, she talks about kind of reflecting on the fact that she's now able to have children. And this is Cain is the very first child to ever be born. And Eve is fresh out of the garden, fresh out of the shame of all of that. And she has a son. And her her words are, she names him Cain because she says, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Um, and, um, you know, li- reading this, listening to people talk about it, um, you see that, like, she is almost taking, like, credit for her not, not, I mean, she's, she's just kind of reveling in the pride of her achievement of being able to have kids here. Um, and like with the help of the Lord is kind of almost seen as an afterthought for her, uh, for her action. She's like, wow, look how great I am. I've had a child. And it's, it's so interesting that that's like the first thing that happens after the shame of the fall. Like she's immediately, not only has she made excuses for herself in the midst of the fall story in Genesis 3, but in Genesis 4, she's already trying to redeem herself by her own means, by her own like faculties that God has given her. And so Cain goes, you know, Cain and Abel go through their thing and Abel dies. And then uh, she has another child. But through the course of all this, she's growing, right? Like they grow up, Eve, like one of the big... Honestly, one of the big villains in the Bible. Uh, we 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 kind of have a quasi view of her and Adam in our minds because they're kind of like heroes, but like the fallen hero. Yeah. And we don't really think about any kind of redemption for them. But through this all, Eve is watching and growing closer to the Lord. And in uh, she has by the time she has her third son mentioned anyway, her third son uh, Seth. She's her mindset has completely changed. This experience with Cain and Abel has has matured her and softened her heart, it seems like, because it says in verse 25, um, she gave birth to her son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain mm-hmm. killed him. And it, like her heart has changed from, I have done this great thing in the presence of God, to God has empowered me, God has entrusted me even with this thing. It's m- much more of like a humble response to, to this thing that, that she's able to do, which is bear children. And um, and I love it. I love seeing kind of the one of the heroes fall in and kind of a little bit of redemption at the end of it. Um, so I don't know. It's it's cool to watch and just kind of tells me that I need to always be in view of like how I should be maturing um, in my journey with the Lord because you know there's no fall that's too great that I can't that God can't still use me for something so long as I'm not focusing on my own contribution to whatever God's doing around me. Um, if I'm so focused on my own uh, power and my own abilities, well, disaster may come of that, and I may not do everything I should be doing in that moment. Um, and that happened in Eve's scenario. But um, but yeah, so anyway, I, awesome I, I, love, I love that little window we're given into Eve's life, even after the major failing. Yeah, so. I like that. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. I'm in, you, Matthew sir. Chapter, I'm in Matthew chapter four, awesome. and uh, and we have uh, Jesus being led up to uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, he's just been baptized. He's beginning his ministry, and the first thing that happens is he begins his ministry as this one this this one on one confrontation with the devil. And uh, in Matthew chapter four, uh, the devil takes him up. Uh, it says again, this is a second temptation. Uh, uh, third, third temptation. Yes, 
And uh, it says, he says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Uh, you know, Satan, Satan comes after us that don't belong to him for one purpose, and that is to lure us away from God's kingdom and bring them into his own kingdom. It's like you think God is in control. You think God has everything. But look, here's everything I have the power over. Here's everything I have. And why don't you give up what God, obviously what God has given you isn't that great. And what I'm offering you is so much better. And, mm. and, it, and it's, it's a quick, easy, um, because it's really like somebody trying to sell you a, a luxury suite on the Titanic. Um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is something that, yes, he does right now, temporarily, have power over these things. And he, we, we gave him as Adam, little L, Lord of the earth, and this is so wild how you're reading in Genesis, Adam, what Adam is messing up, and then you're reading in Matthew how Jesus is taking it back, uh, but you have Adam who is uh, lured into this, uh, hey, you you think that this what God's given you is so great, but it's really not that great when you think about it, because look, there's here's a tree you don't get to eat from. How what kind of, how, what kind of cruel God puts a tree in a garden and doesn't let you eat from it, and says, if you if you take this, uh, and so when he does, he then gives, uh, God has given Adam dominion over the earth, and then Adam takes that dominion and gives it to Satan. And so now Satan has dominion over the earth, and, and we see, you know, and that's the thing. When you look at everything that's happening around us, when you see the things that are going on, you have to rem- re- just constantly remind yourself, this is what it looks like when Satan has dominion, when Satan has power over something. This is this is this is the result. Anything good in it, anything good in it is just grace, just God intervening in in a Satan ruled dominion. And uh but uh but he but he comes and he lures us and he's like uh, you know, God's God's making you wait for a kingdom and you have to die. You have to, you know, have faith and and all these different things. There's this rough road to get there. Obviously, Jesus showed how difficult the road was through the cross, and then says, "Follow me this way." And uh, and so there's there's a you have to give up this world in order to get the world that God has for you, and a new world, and believing that that world is going to be better. What Satan's mm-hmm. saying, but what I have is right here, right now. And let me show you how good it is. Satan, you know. God says it's not. Everybody's saying it's not so good, but let me show you how good it is. Let me show you how good it tastes, and it does taste good for the moment. And it does. It, it's just that it, it tastes good, but it it brings with it death. That's the that's the tie. Is that if you eat it, you will die. That that has not changed. You take a if you partake of this world and embrace this world, then you're gonna die with this world. Um, and so he. Jesus refused it. Jesus refused this this offer of immediate gain for this kingdom to gain. He he gave up the temporal to gain that which is eternal, and and we are already we are also subjected to the same temptation unless we already belong to the enemy. So if we already belong to the enemy, then Satan's not tempting us with this. We just live in the world, um, and so people are like, why are they not being tempted? Why are they not having these temptations or whatever? It's because Satan they belong to Satan. Uh, they belong to his dominion. Uh, he only comes after those who are have 
who've given it up, trying to lure them back into it. And uh, he tries to, every day, every day, he is luring us away from God. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, from the moment you get up in the morning, I remember we've said this before, it was um, George Mueller who said that he would keep his Bible by his nightstand because the distance from his bed to the bathroom was too much time, too much opportunity for Satan to tempt him. So as soon as he would wake up, he would go to the Word and, and do his meditation. Uh, and there's truth in that. When you wake up in the morning, think about how many mornings you wake up, and Satan is right there waiting. He's right there waiting to lure you away and to say, I've got, he's going to use your physical lust. He's going to have you question the love of God. He's going to have you question his security. That's, he went with Jesus with, uh, you need food. You, uh, you need physical needs to be met. Uh, you have, uh, what was it, your security. He said, throw yourself down. He said, so uh, does, God, does God really love you? Does God really, does God really love you enough to take care of you, to watch over you, protect you? And, uh, and then finally, power. Uh, don't you feel powerless in all that you're doing? That, that, I mean, that's, is that not the mindset that fills our culture today is that we feel, you know, when people saying the election was this happened and that happened and, and, and here's what, if I can just cut through everything, what you're saying is there were people who did something to us and we felt powerless to do anything about it. And so we try to, and Satan comes along and says, Oh, you want power? I can give you some power and you can do something about this. You can take this. Obviously God has failed you. Mm. Obviously God has not done what God's supposed to do. And so now here, let me, let me show you what you can do in order to Mm. fix this. Um, That's it's a trap of the enemy. Every time he's luring us in from, it doesn't matter which side you are on. It doesn't matter which, uh, which, whether you're a donkey, elephant, whatever, doesn't matter where you're coming, what background you're coming from. Satan has a plan to lure you in using your own physical needs, using your, their need for security and love and your quest for power. Um, and he, he's going to take those things and, uh, and offer them to you just as he did to Jesus. But Jesus did not take the bait. And so he's the person we got to stick with. He's the person who we cling to his word. And, and I don't want to get into a WJD, WWJD moment, but, but it is one of those. Jesus is the one who's going to guide and direct you through those temptations. And it is the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to say no to the enemy. Hmm. And uh, you're talking about you know, Satan lays this trap for Jesus, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in Proverbs, right? About how, you know, Satan's laid this trap, but in this case, Jesus is being God, the the bird watching Satan yeah. lay this trap. And he's like, what are you thinking? Like, what did, what did, what did Satan that's think right. was going to happen? Yeah. Like in this scenario. So that's, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, hey, cool. One more thing. I wanted to say one more thing about that before I go on. Yeah. When we, when we use the devil's help, uh, that is pagan worship every time. When God has a plan to take care of you, to provide for you. And when you say, I'm afraid God's help is not going to be enough. I, 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 there's a Lord of the Rings reference I had to throw in here. Uh, when, um, when Gandalf is, uh, has the ring of power right there and, and, and uh, Frodo offers it to him. And he says, no, I can't take it. He said, because I'm afraid in my effort to do good uh, that I would be drawn into the evil of his power. And, and that is, I think for Christians, that is Satan's ultimate temptation. Mm. In our desire to do good, we take the enemy's power and we try to use it for good, 
but it always corrupts us. He, he mm-hmm. then he has us in his snare. We the only good that we can do is through Christ and through his power. Yeah. Wow. It's good. It's a good reference. It's a, yep. it's a great line too from the from the thing. All right. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so my my other one is from the book of Psalms, uh, verse two. And man, I for those listening and Pastor Troy, don't judge me here. This is one of those things that I just feel like every other person in the world must know because it's just so obviously staring at you in the face here. Mm-hmm. It seems like, but I just have never read it this way before. Mm-hmm. So here goes uh, Psalm two. Uh, the author, probably David, is talking about uh, – it's kind of one of those messianic look forward to books uh, or, or psalms. Um, and there's a lot of talk about the Lord's anointed one and uh, his the Lord's king that he installs on Zion. So most of the psalm is talking about uh, the future Messiah that they look forward to, that is Jesus, um, that we know him as. And, and we call him the son of God. Um, and I think for most Christians, uh, myself very much included, I think of um, the son because he speaks as if like son to father in his prayer. Mm-hmm. And then we have that idea of Jesus, you know, being born of a virgin through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So that makes him kind of a son in that aspect as well. Um, but it's just kind of his role in the Trinity as the son to father. Um, but here it says actually like, I had to read this like five or six times all the way through just to make sure I was getting the context right. But in verse seven in chapter two, it says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, colon. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is this, again, speaking of the Messiah, not of David, but of the Messiah. And uh, and then it says in verse 12, do homage to the son. Um, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. So it's calling. I don't I don't know that David knew what he was talking about at the time. Um, but prophetically speaking of Jesus as this son title character. And where do we get the, where do we start calling Jesus the son of God? Well, we look at what Peter was talking about when Jesus asked Peter, Hey, who do you, who do you think that I am? Right. Who do you, who do you, all these people say all these things. I think I'm a prophet. They think I'm Elijah. What do you think that I am? And when Peter says, I think you're the son of God. He's not just drawn that out of thin air. He he's a Jew just like he went to Jew school, Jew boy school, uh, where he learned the scriptures, and uh, he may have been a dropout because he was a fisherman, but still, like he knew what was going on, and and he knew Psalm chapter two, verse twelve that we know it as anyway. He and he would go to the synagogue. He's heard this preached probably a hundred times. He says, "You are this son." You are this, like, this one that – they already had this title in their mind. We think of the Son of God as, like, a post-Jesus, like, position. At least I did. But it wasn't. It was, like – it was way back when David was was shouting – spouting off lyrics and, and rhymes to this psalm. He's like, there is a there is a son. This Messiah is takes the place of this Son of God. And Peter comes around and just assigns that to Jesus. And and I, I, I again probably super obvious, but but that was cool for me. And then in verse twelve it says, "Do homage to the Son. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him." And that's just a, a good truth for any day. Is just do homage to Him, that He may not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. And how blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Um, and His wow. wrath may soon be kindled. It may be kindled right now. Um, the wrath of the of the lamb, I think we met, we called it a few episodes yeah. ago. Uh, yeah. 
but uh, but but how blessed are all who take refuge in Him? Uh, so good, such a good good stuff. Good section. stuff. That's an awesome psalm too. Yeah, um, Psalm one and two are, are um, mm-hmm. not that they're not all great, but those are two that you can reference many many times. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well let's come back and we'll we'll look at some questions. And uh, all right, okay, cool. Okay, this is the final section of episode one of season two, Woo! where we go, yeah, where we go and we uh, we go through questions that people have written in. Literally, we have one that somebody wrote a letter to us today. A literal uh, written to, question. A literal written yeah. question for um, for this this podcast episode. So I'm very excited, uh, Pastor Troy. I, I submitted it to him earlier, so he is going to read it for you. And, uh, yes. and there may be a couple other questions he wants to dig into as well. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Pastor Troy, if we got. Okay, here we go. The question is, if I can uh, pull it up. Oh, wait, I remember where it is now. In Genesis 1, God made male and female. In Genesis 2, God made a man and a woman. How can scholars teach that all men came from Adam? Did God make man, or did all men come from only from Adam and Eve? Did Cain and Seth marry their sisters? These are the kind of questions we always get in Genesis because it is it's, it's tangled, and there's all kinds of theories that go around. But let me always just encourage you to do this: just read what the text says, and just go with what the text says, and don't. I mean, you can think that uh, it, it leaves us some room that there could be some other things there. But uh, one thing that uh, it does unfold for us is that God creates Adam. And and then from Adam, he from a rib, he surgically takes uh, a rib from uh, Adam's body, or at least a bone in his side. And he uh, and he draws Eve from that. Uh, and and so uh, that is in the creation story. We don't mess with that. So he made Adam, and then from Adam he made Eve, and then the two of them had children. And we know that uh, they had Cain, uh, they had Abel, that Cain killed Abel, and then uh, they had Seth. Now obviously they had lots of other uh, children uh, to boot, and this is also over hundreds of years of time. Uh, so there's, uh, they are being fruitful and they are multiplying. Uh, the the idea of marrying brothers and sisters uh, that is for us uh, one it's uh, illegal uh, and uh, and the um, uh, the uh, the idea is that uh, you have uh, you have all this. Uh, I mean, it's very possible. Yes, that they at some point are marrying their brothers and sisters because that's the only people on the planet. There's, there's no other way. If you start with two and then they multiply, then uh, then that's going to be. But the, the stigma that we have on it today is for for good reason because of the genetic pool and so forth, and and to uh, to do inbreeding uh, would create all types of problems and issues. But uh, we're not we're not told that that was wrong for them to do at that point. Uh, but obviously, because that's the only way there can be more people. Um, as to did God spontaneously generate? I mean, just think about it for a second. If you want to go down the line, does God made some other people so that these people would have people to marry? If you're trusting the God who can do that, well, God obviously can still make a way for them to intermarry one another, um, and 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 that be okay too. To uh, that 
we're trusting that God is finding a way to populate the planet. Uh, and the, what the Bible tells us is he starts with one, out of the one he makes woman, and then the two of them coming together, and those that's where all mankind comes from. That's that's the story that we have from God's word. So we'll stick with that. Um, and so that's where we get everybody. Now, uh, as far as Cain, when Cain kills Abel, then it says that these people now, I'm, you know, people are going to be thinking about this. Now, this is where the timeline. Uh, sometimes we take for granted a timeline in our minds. Actually, uh, it's not say it doesn't necessarily follow that immediately when Cain killed Abel. Now everybody's going to think of him. Think of it in terms of Cain kills Abel. Now they live hundreds of years following this, uh, and so. Uh, over time, more people are coming out of the planet. Cain has a stigma against him. He has this uh, that he killed Abel kind of thing that you can't escape from as people are being born, as, as generations that follow. And he's saying, this is more than I can bear. And so God then brings in this form of protection for him and says, uh, puts a mark on him that uh, he is not to be killed or else judgment will come. Uh, and and that's, uh, uh, I mean, th- that's, there are, uh, there are going to be many, many, many people um, uh, that are going to be a result of being fruitful multiply. I don't want to say they're like rabbits, but, uh, <laughs> but they, we do, uh, you do see that, uh, that as time goes on over hundreds of years, many people could be born and that the literal be fruitful and multiply. That's how multiplication works. Uh, two people have one and that one has one and that, and that couple has, you know, and then more and more and more and more and more beget. So, um, uh, the math works if you if you look at it in the light of the I think that's why the scripture tells us that they 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 were here for hundreds of years uh, and uh, and in fact um, even up until the flood you have um, Methuselah who's oldest man ever lived he died just before the flood occurred and so and, and was there for generations uh, to see generations of people born. When you see scripture saying and this person was 125 years old and this person was born. That birth is being highlighted because that is part of the genealogy that's important. It's not saying this is all the only child they had. It's saying these are the births that are important because this is the one that God is using in order to bring about um, the Messiah. Uh, and so, I mean, in the Old Testament, it would be how he brought about Abraham, and uh, and then and through Abraham's genealogy, how he brought about King David, and then King David's genealogy, how uh, how Christ uh, the Messiah came from David's line. So uh, that's the the story is how do we maintain the line of Christ? That's why Noah is so important. Not because uh, and even uh, looking at Shem, the son of Noah, you have Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but Shem's the most important because that's where the line of Christ is going to come from. So uh, so that's that's why we follow those genealogies. So when you're reading it, just understand there's a lot that's not being said. A lot that's taking place that the Bible doesn't give us because it's just not important information for the narrative that's being shared. Moses is giving us the book of Genesis, and he's sharing the things he's sharing because this is what was important for the people of God to know as they go and conquer Canaan and establish themselves as the nation of Israel. And so this is the story of that nation unfolding and being given the law, this covenant between God and his people. And so this is how this people came to be. Uh, and so that's that's the information that was incredibly pertinent. 
Lord. And from that people, then uh, you had uh, this nation, you have the Messiah that's for all of us. And so that's why the information is pertinent to us. So when you're reading through it, just always keep that in mind. He's trying to not just give you every detail of how creation works or every detail how mankind came to be. He's trying to give you the information necessary to understand how his people came to be and then how his Messiah came from those people. Along those lines, I have one other question I want to address before we quit, and then, uh, and that is uh, something that bothered me um, in my reading was in uh, Genesis chapter four, um, where it has uh, where it talks about where it gives the genealogy of Cain, and it says um, that Cain conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Uh, then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. Arad was born to Enoch. Arad uh, fathered Mahushael. Mahushael fathered uh, Methushael. And Methushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Ada and another named Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of the nomadic herdsmen. And then, and then you have him going through. Uh, uh, he was the, uh, the next one was the father of all who play flyer and uh, lyre and flute, not flyer and lute, but lyre and flute. And uh, and then Tubal Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Uh, I used to think, how are how are these people the father of all these people? Because none of these people exist anymore. They would have all died in the flood. And so why is there why is this genealogy important? What he's showing is it's not that these were the like every flute player came from this guy or every bronze maker came. These were the first people to ever do these things. And so he's just saying that Cain had these children. And and look how man is becoming civilized. Look at how quickly people are learning how to do instruments and so forth. And and so all these things that we do today, they were already being born out in the civilization that was produced through Cain, which then God ultimately destroyed uh, and started over again. So uh, it's not that every person who ever played the lyre or flute is a descendant of Cain. Uh, it's more that Cain's children were the first people to do these things, and that was their their mark of notoriety that was then passed along through oral tradition. And then uh, Moses shares with us in the book of Genesis. So uh, cool. I'm sure there's lots more questions that can be addressed uh, in um, in Genesis, uh, the as far as the days of creation and so forth like that. Those are great. Those are those are entire studies are created around those type of things, uh, and and so um, we would encourage you to um, to come to First Baptist Jackson and participate in a Bible study. We'd be glad to go over more of those things and uh, and share them in detail. But uh, but anyway, that's that's all we'll cover today. Mm, awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. It's sure to be an awesome season, and we will see you next week.